Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Aaron Ramsey, and you're listening to the Arsenal Weekly Podcast. Here's Alexis Sanchez! What a finish! Walcott's going to go through and score! Into the middle, Giroud! It's two! Hello, I'm Russell Hargreaves. Welcome to the Arsenal Weekly Podcast for the week of the 18th of January 2016. On this week's show, Olivier Giroud talks to us about his Champions League record with the Gunners. We see the debut of our new feature, Access Arsenal, and Adrian Clark stops by to preview this weekend's London derby with Chelsea. But we're kicking off with Dan Roebuck and Nick Bromsack in a bumper weekend review. Arsenal had tough trips to Liverpool and Stoke last week. Let's start with a quick recap of what happened last Wednesday at Anfield. So a corner for Liverpool, left-hand side up goes the signal. And it's drilled towards the near post. It's flicked on initially by Chan, but Arsenal should be able to clear. This is Theo Walcott, tries to prod it forward for Giroud, but Liverpool have it back. Chan once again, edge of the area, looks to get the shot away. Good save from Pedicek. Altuabu gets the shot back and it's in. That is Firmino that gets the goal. The Brazilian in the right place at the right time to thrash home beyond Pedacek and it's Liverpool that have the lead. Colo Torre will clear for Liverpool, only as far as Campbell, who takes a touch edge of the area, tries to slide it through. Ramsey on the turn, finds a corner! Arsenal back on level terms, terrific move, with Aaron Ramsey in the right place at the right time, beating Simon Mignolet at his near post. Really good work inside the penalty area, and Ramsey draws Arsenal level. Henderson, Henderson takes over, plays it towards Moreno, and nearly ricocheted back towards Milner, it does go to Milner, edge of the box, now it's with Firmino, gets the shot away! Oh, what a goal! That is a worldie for Firmino, who's on the score sheet again, and Liverpool are in front again, very little backlift, very little room, hardly anything to aim at, but he's found the top corner, and it's Liverpool 2, Arsenal 1. He's got it through, he's always hanging up in the air a bit. Tell you what, Mignolet flattered him. Meanwhile, in comes the corner. He's been nodded in. And Arsenal have got a level up. 2-2 in this extraordinary fixture here. Well, how about that? Who got there at the near post? Was it Giroud with a flick on? It's swung into that near post area. He's certainly claiming it, isn't he? It almost looked like it went straight in from the corner, to be honest. It was so quick. And the seller, there's just barely any reaction apart from the Arsenal players. It's incredible, really. What a, what a start to this game. 25 minutes gone, four goals. 
Flamini. Has he given it to Milner? No, he hasn't. Bayern, he's too quick. And Hector coming forward on the right-hand side. Can he take it beyond Moreno? Short ball, Campbell, edge of the area. Looks to play through here inside the box. The shot on the turn, finds the corner! That is brilliant from Olivier Giroud with his left foot. Well, he might have missed an opportunity in the first half, but in the second, a swivel inside the box to find the bottom corner. His second, Arsenal's third. And for the first time, the Gunners are in front. That is some strike from Olivier Giroud. Slip through for Sacco. Sacco stabs it back now for Henderson. 90 nearly on the clock. It's long towards Benteke. Knocks it back inside the box. Alan is there! He's forced it home! Liverpool have got an equaliser in the 90th minute. It is 3-3. Delighted to say that Matchday Show commentary team Dan Roebuck and Nick Bromsack have joined me now. And Dan, we'll start with you. You, of course, as we've just heard, were at the game at Anfield. Um, what were your thoughts on that 3-3 draw and what Arsenal took from it? Um, I think ultimately it was disappointment, wasn't it? Because Arsenal were, in my opinion, the better side, uh, had more of the chances, had more of the opportunities to score more than the three goals that they did. Um, and as we've seen over the years, I can't quite remember what the stat is about conceding late goals. I'm sure Arsenal fans uh, will know. But we did it again at Liverpool. It happened last year. It's happened over the course of the Premier League. And unfortunately, Joe Allen popping up in the 90th minute uh, to prevent us from getting the full three points, which uh, I think we deserved. It was a very open game of football. It was a game of football that saw Liverpool, I think, have 60% of the possession, which is always unusual when Arsenal play. It doesn't matter if it's a, a top team, a middle-ranking side or a side uh, with relegation problems. Arsenal usually have more of the ball, but Liverpool had more of the ball. Arsenal were good on the counter. And really, when Giroud scored his second, Arsenal's third just 10 minutes after the restart, You'd like to think that Arsenal uh, should have been good enough to, to, to get the job done. But unfortunately, uh, Liverpool uh, managed to grab an equaliser. I mean, when it all comes down to it in May, we might consider it a point gained, gained as long as we win the title. But I, I think there is an air of disappointment off the back of that that Arsenal didn't win it because we should have. Nick's here as well, as we mentioned, and great to have both of you with us again on the Arsenal Weekly Podcast. Nick, obviously from there, Arsenal then moved on to another tough away game at Stoke, where you've just been and just come back. And cold, you got injured. It's a pretty tough day by the sounds of it. Yeah, very, very cold. I don't think I've ever actually been as cold at a football match. Looking at the game, I think Arsenal produced quite a solid performance. You know, it's a ground that they've struggled on in recent years. And Arsene Wenger mentioned that considering his side's record at the Britannia Stadium, it was probably a decent point. Having said that, I think it would be tinged with a little bit of regret because in the final third, they weren't quite good enough. And when they did manage to create chances, Jack Butland was in excellent form. He really was, wasn't he? And that was fascinating to see the two goalkeepers, Jack and Peter Cech as well, both so impressive. And I love the, the kinship and the, camp, the camaraderie between them as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think they've probably been two of the best goalkeepers in the Premier League this season. And, you know, the way that Butland came out to spread himself when Drew went through in the first half was very impressive, as was his, his save at his near post just at the start of the second half. And, you know, Petr Cech, I think more than his saves, it's actually just the way in which he commands his box. You know, the, the defenders that seem so confident and Hector Bellerin, who we spoke to after the game uh, on Arsenal play, was making that very point. Just saying when you know you've got someone that great behind you, it gives you so much more belief, so much confidence. And that double save from Hosselu and then from Bojan was, was fantastic, as was... Uh, his save from Hosselu at the death as well. Dan, what do you feel that Arsenal, when you look at the two games in context, two tough and, and hard-fought draws away, the return from those matches as we move forward, where do you think the club stands? It's interesting, isn't it? Because I think it puts a lot of pressure on the game against Chelsea upcoming. 
because we've only managed to get two points from two games. Now, uh, they're two hard places to go, and um, it's been well documented that Stoke have beaten the vast majority of the top teams at home this season. So, again, you can look back on that, like the Liverpool game, and think, yeah, well, a point's OK. But if you're going to win titles, you've got to win games. Um, and interesting to hear Nick talk about uh, Pedacek and Jack Butland there. I mean, uh, Jack Butland uh, made three terrific saves from um, Olivier Giroud in the first half, one from Alex oxlade Chamberlain, and then he's again from Giroud in the second half ahead. The they were only Arsenal's three attempts on target, but they were quality attempts on target, if you see what I mean. Um, and I think that there was a little bit of a lack of a cutting edge up front. We didn't seem to get going. It's only the third time this season in the Premier League that Arsenal have been shut out, and the first time uh, since the Chelsea game away from home in which we had a player sent off, of course. So usually we're good for a goal, but it was a, it was a tough game, wasn't it, up at Stoke? And it, it, it was very cold. And it was a game that, again, we might think, yeah, that is a point game. But what I think what it does do, the two games together, what it does do is it puts a bit of pressure on our next fixture now at home against Chelsea. And if you, think, if you can get five points from those three fixtures, it's sort of acceptable. Not exactly what we wanted, but acceptable because it should keep us top of the table. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it does, back top. It, it, yeah, it does, it does put pressure on the next fixture. Nick, obviously Mesut Ozil being missed, I think, and being missing as well for that last game was important. And hopefully he'll be back, possibly for the Chelsea game, as we understand. But he is such a key heartbeat, isn't he? And such a key contributor. Yeah, of course. With 16 assists, you know, it's a league a league high and it shows just how important he is and I thought uh, yesterday's game against Stoke it really illustrated how much Arsenal missed Mesut Ozil because when they got in the final third there just seemed to be a lack of composure sometimes there were good runs being made particularly by Hector Bellerin, Joel Campbell as well and sometimes Arsenal just failed to pick that man going forward and you know I think it just illustrates as I said what, what Ozil brings to this team because when he's on the ball he gives you so much time he alleviates pressure and he always seems to play the right pass at just the right pace as well so Hopefully he can come back for that Chelsea game along with Alexis Sanchez, of, of course, as well and give Arsenal that increase in firepower. And obviously a new addition was on the bench for this game. Tell us a little bit more about that. Well, Arsene Wenger says Mohamed Elneny is a player who can operate both as a box-to-box -box midfielder uh, and also someone who can sit, and, sit in uh, at the base of midfield. Interesting to see that he didn't play. I'm not too surprised, actually. Uh, Stoke away is a baptism of fire or... A baptism of ice uh, in yesterday's circumstances. <laughs> Tell us about the soup. You were telling me about the soup off air earlier. Yeah, the soup. The soup was actually really well needed, I must say, because I was freezing cold and uh, we needed it. A lot of it did go flying because my hands were so cold, but I think Dan appreciated it. So you're basically there shaking, say, trying to hold the soup and it's flying everywhere. <laughs> yeah, say, absolutely. Yeah, burning my hands, but we, it was I needed. Say, Russ, we, we sent Nick downstairs to, to the press um, uh, lounge to get some soup at halftime. And when he came back up, his hands were shaking. He was shaking. The soup was going everywhere. He said he enjoyed the soup. I said, yeah, I really enjoyed it as well, Nick. And he said... Yeah, but I'm not quite sure what flavour it was. <laughs> Funny that, actually, because the woman serving it, she didn't know what flavour it was either. So, yeah, it's one of those, you, you just got it down your gullet and said no more. And only 6% of it went in your mouth anyway. The rest yeah. of it was all over you two and all over the rest of the fans and journalists around you. I don't know. And you lost a toenail as well, so it wasn't a great day in that regard. But anyway, we move on, boys, and uh, a goal of straw out of the potteries and back home to the Emirates Stadium. Um, do you think we could possibly, um, Dan, see any other additions coming in? How do you feel the squad, with a lot of injured players out at the moment, is shaping up for these tough battles that lie ahead? And the fact that Arsenal are still contending, of course, in, in three big competitions. 
I think the supporters would like to see more additions. Um, I think initially Arsene Wenger suggested there might be, but the fact that he was talking up Danny Welbeck's return in the press conference last week may suggest that we might not have any forward players or at least a striker coming into the club um, by the time January is out. I, I would suggest no, but you never know. And Arsene Wenger always leaves the door open. And if he believes that a player of special interest comes up, then he would be in for him. But I, my, my gut feeling is that the business might be done. And then at least there's this cohesive unit that has been showing great progress and great signs can then continue to hopefully Nick evolve and bring home the silverware that everybody craves. I think that's one of the main positives from the last few weeks, actually, when you look at the players at Arsenal are still missing, the likes of Coquelin, Cazorla, Alexis Sanchez, and Ozil for the Stoke game too. And that's not even to mention players like Welbeck, uh, Wilshere and Rosicki. It shows that Arsenal have that squad now. They have the group needed, I think, to compete for the title. And I, like Dan said, I'd be very surprised if Arsenal Wenger does do any more business, judging from his comments on Friday. But he has always said that if something spectacular is put in front of him, he's not afraid to do it. So we'll wait and see, but I'd be very surprised. Very much looking forward to that Chelsea game, the London derby. Dan Robert, Nick Brumsack, brilliant to have you both back on the Arsenal Weekly Podcast. And as ever, really appreciate your time, boys. Thanks, Ross. Cheers. Thanks, Ross. You're listening to the Arsenal Weekly Podcast. Olivier Giroud is enjoying another fine season for Arsenal, scoring 18 goals already, including five in this season's Champions League alone. His hat-trick against Olympiacos in match day six took his tally to 11 in 24 games for the Gunners in the competition. He sat down with Arsenal media's Josh James to discuss his fine European form. When you look back on the season, the first half of the season, you've already scored some fantastic goals and another one the other night. But the goal away to Bayern Munich... No one talks about it because we lost. Was that must be one of your favourites, though, was it? Yeah, it doesn't help the team to come back, but uh, it was a good one. Yeah, a good, uh, good cross from Alexis on the, at the right place, and uh, that's what I wanted to do straight away. Uh, not a lot of space, but uh, I tried to hold the ball and chest it. And after I like this chest, I used to do it a lot uh, when I was in France, but uh, I'm. Uh, uh, I'm a fan of uh, Jean-Pierre Papin as well, so I used to do a lot of papinade, and that's like uh, back, uh, back. Um, how do you say? Bicycle. Okay. Yeah, bicycle, something like that. So an acrobatic bicycle. So yeah, I uh, I like to do that. And the Olympiacos game, of course, will be forever in your memory. Your hat trick. Tell us about your memories from that. And where, what have you done with the hat trick ball? Yeah, uh, I'm just gonna say uh, that I made made it signed by the whole team, and uh, uh, it was an unbelievable night for me and for the team. And uh, we remember that uh, my first hat trick with uh, with the team. I was uh, all the time closed with some braces, mm-hmm. but um, this one I couldn't forget it because. Uh, Above all, uh, it was a, a trick, but even more because uh, it helped us to, yeah. to qualify to go through, so amazing. And that penalty you took, what, how many nerves were there? For... The thing is, 2-0, we are qualified, 2-1, we are out. So if I didn't score this penalty, maybe we, uh, we could have been in trouble till, uh, till uh, the last minute. And you never know, uh, like Liverpool game. Mm. So yeah, better to 
to score it and thanks God uh, I put it in. Olivier will be looking to add to his Champions League goal tally when holders Barcelona visit the Emirates in just under five weeks' time. We're at the halfway point in today's show, so it's time for a history lesson. And it's Adams, put through by Bold! Would you believe it? Or Charlie George, who can hit him? It's up for grabs now! Thomas! Right at the end! On the 19th of January 1878, the architect of Arsenal, Herbert Chapman, was born in Yorkshire. Chapman managed Northampton Town, Leeds City and most successfully Huddersfield Town before being convinced to take over the Gunners in the summer of 1925. A true innovator of the game, Chapman led an overhaul in transfers and training at the club. Here's some audio from the history of Arsenal about the great man's time and impact at the club. Chapman's first signing was the legendary Charlie Buchan, an inspirational captain. Then there was Joe Hume from Blackburn and future skipper Tom Parker from Southampton. This team took Arsenal to their first cup final in 1927 against Cardiff at Wembley. As the 20s drew to a close, Chapman continued to build his team. Players such as Eddie Hapgood, David Jack, Alex James and the prolific Cliff Bastin became Highbury legends. With their revolutionary WM formation, Arsenal were now ready to take on the football world. The game would never be the same again. These are the Arsenal players from whom the final selection of the team will be made to appear at Wembley on April the 26th. This happy band of brothers was on the verge of making history and that elusive first trophy wasn't far away. Ironically, the 1930 FA Cup final was against Huddersfield, Chapman's old club. In tribute to the manager, both teams ran out side by side, the first time this had happened at Wembley. The game went to plan for Chapman and his assistant Tom Whittaker, Alex James giving Arsenal a first-half lead. In the 83rd minute, Jack Lambert sealed victory with this goal and captain Tom Parker lifted the cup to mark the start of a decade of Arsenal domination in English football. The first championship followed 12 months later with Arsenal scoring an incredible 127 goals en route to the title. The Gunners were a potent force and everyone in the country wanted to see them at first hand. Many of those on the hillside have already paid admission to the ground. However, they think the view is better even a quarter of a mile away. Well, they know. In front of 67,000 people, this sixth-round FA Cup tie was finally settled by a header from giant centre-half Herbie Roberts. Arsenal were on their way back to Wembley, where they would meet Newcastle United. In a keenly fought north-south battle, it was Welsh half-back Bob John who gave Arsenal the lead, much to Herbert Chapman's delight. He was never one for outlandish celebrations. But the equaliser from Boyd was given in the most controversial of circumstances. From this high angle, it appeared winger Richardson had run the ball out of play before crossing, a fact confirmed by this artist's impression. Newcastle went on to score again and win the game 2-1, but defeat didn't keep Arsenal down for long, and a season later they won the league for the second time in three years. One important development was the new kit, their now famous white-sleeved shirts introduced by Chapman in March 1933. 
As mentioned at the end of that clip, it wasn't just on the field where Chapman revolutionised the game. He promoted the use of floodlights, developed a PA system which passed team news on to fans and created a letter and number scoreboard at Highbury, which would go on to be widely copied throughout the entire country. Arsenal also have Chapman to thank for being the only football team in London with an underground station named after them. Here's Arsenal greats George Mayo and Bernard Joy talking about Chapman's leadership. He was a great psychologist. He was able to do things which probably a lot of other managers and probably a lot of other players wouldn't have stood for. But uh, he did it in such a way, such a quiet, softly spoken way, that nobody ever seemed to take offence at him. And of course he could add a little bit of steel to that, what shall I say, uh, soft manner by uh, the things he actually said, which were quiet. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And to the point, he was, without any doubt, the greatest manager of all time because he lifted uh, uh, league football to professional level. He made the game a great entertainment industry. He knew tactics backwards and forwards. He got a great air for, for publicity. And in addition, he managed to persuade the players to lift themselves on behalf of the club. Chapman's life was tragically cut short on January the 6th, 1934, when he died of pneumonia aged just 55 years old. Today, he's remembered as the single most important figure in Arsenal's history. And on December the 9th, 2011, a statue of him was unveiled outside the Emirates Stadium to celebrate the club's 125th anniversary. We'll have another history lesson next week, but up next, it's the debut of Access Arsenal. Oh.
Well, bring out the fanfare. It's time for a new feature on the Arsenal Weekly podcast this week. In Access Arsenal, we'll be talking to individuals who work for the club. And I'm delighted to say that we're joined by the pitch side compare, Nigel Mitchell. Nigel, Hello great to there. have you here. How are well, you? It's great to be here and uh, no pressure on launching this new feature. <laughs> I think it will completely depend on how good you are over the next few minutes, yeah. basically. So exactly no pressure whatsoever. Among your various roles, of course, you're the voiceover artist for Arsenal World yeah. and also for this very podcast as well. Am, so yeah. maybe we could kick off with a live version of your Arsenal Weekly podcast. Welcome. If you like. Welcome to the Arsenal Weekly podcast. I'm in the studio this week. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, just tell us a little bit about what you do then as, as your kind of combined role here. Uh, well, uh, every week, every Tuesday normally, I record uh, Arsenal World, which is our global programme that goes out uh, across many, many territories uh, to millions and millions of Arsenal fans about what goes on around the club, sort of a, an access all areas, really, of the club. So if there's a, an event that's going on at Emirates Stadium, we talk about that, that involves some players. For example, uh, Gilberto's charity was recently here, so we had a nice little feature on that. Uh, we do a close-up interview every week with a different first-team star, and uh, sometimes they run over a course of weeks. So Petr Cech obviously has an amazing story. <laughs> That's one of the favourite ones that I've voiced recently. And um, lots of other little features that make up a half-hour programme. And it runs throughout the football season. And it's, it's such a brilliant show to be part of because... Right. You learn a lot doing it, as I'm sure you find when you're doing, doing this kind of stuff. You, you learn loads about the, the place that you work for as well whilst yeah. reading, don't you? So, no, absolutely. Yeah, it's great. a fascinating thing, isn't it? And obviously on match day, you're very heavily involved aren't you, with what goes on. Well, this is the dream. And if I had a pound for every time someone tweets me and says, you have the best job in the world, I'll be a millionaire. <laughs> it is. It's a really... It's such an honour to do it. I mean, I'm an Arsenal fan anyway. I've been an Arsenal fan probably since the age of about 10 or 11, when my granddad first sort of introduced me to the club. So said, I like the way George Graham plays football. I like you should watch this team. And it was the uh, Anfield 89. Yeah. Of course, th there weren't that many games televised, if I remember, back in those days. So that was what the game of the season, wasn't it? And right at the end of the season, and sort of saw it and then went, that's my club. And so to stand there on a match day and say, welcome to Emirates Stadium, and then interview those guys I grew up watching, you know, the Lee Dixons and Thierry Henrys, the Tony Adams and the Bergkamps. It's pinch yourself stuff and I, I always try and remember every time before I do it, I go, you are so lucky to be here. It's such a great opportunity and embrace every moment of it because there are millions of people out there who go, well, I know because on Twitter they always go, you're so lucky. And I'm like, yeah, I know, I know. But I love it, absolutely love it. It's a, and it's a wonderful club to be part of, you know. Must be pretty much exactly the same age as me then doing my sums from what you Probably, just said. Yeah. <laughs> um, and coming into all of this, as you say, supporting Arsenal as a boy, mm. but you didn't come through this route at all, did you? No. Um, I, my background is children's television. Um, as actually, you know, the likes of Jake Humphrey with BT, we, we all sort of learnt our trade on the children's TV circuit, really. And uh, I started, I was very lucky when I was 15 years old. Uh, I'd always wanted to be on the radio, funnily enough, so I used to practice... I used to pretend I was on the radio at home in my bedroom and force my parents and my family to listen to me being on Capital Radio and all that kind of stuff. I used to just make up all these little jingles and things like that. And, uh, so this is probably my background. Oh, is it? So yeah, well, there you go. Yeah, Kindred yeah, spirits yeah, yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. That's great. <laughs> and um, so that's what I'd always wanted to do. And then I'd, I'd heard on the grapevine that a channel called Nickelodeon, a brand new channel at the time, back in 1994, uh, were looking for presenters with radio experience. And so friend gave me the number and said why didn't you phone up 
and say, you've had some. And I went, well, I haven't really. And, went, yeah, and you're how old at this I point? I was uh, 14, Blimey, I think, 14 yeah. or 15 at the time. And so I phoned, phoned up, managed to get an audition and went along and then didn't hear anything for a year. The guy went, yes, we'll definitely use you and never heard from them. So that was my first introduction to the cruel world of the media yeah. Um, yeah. At, a, at a young age. And then my school said, you need to do work experience a year later. So I phoned up the same guy and went, look, I've, I did an audition for you a couple of years ago. Any chance I could come in and make some tea or whatever? Weirdly enough, uh, he'd just been watching my audition tape from the year before and said, actually, why don't you come in on Saturday and I'll put you on for two hours. And if you're any good, you can stay. And that was my first break back in, it was actually, 20 years ago, yeah, now. Scary, 1995 it was, in March. So um, I learnt my trade, there was no script, there was no auto cue, there was nothing, and then went through Disney Channel, Children's ITV and all that kind of stuff, and then, amazingly, got the opportunity here. Um, How did that one come about then? Well, being in that kind of industry, you kind of have an agent, yeah. as you know, to, to, yeah. to find you work, and um, the agent I had at the time knew I was an Arsenal fan, and knew that Arsenal were looking, were setting up a TV channel and were looking for presenters, not necessarily with sports background. And I was a bit nervous, if I'm being honest, because I hadn't worked in sport before. And you know what it's like, you, you're expected to know stuff, aren't you? Yeah. And so I did find it quite hard when I first started. It was a very steep learning curve, but Arsenal were amazing and took me under their wing and basically taught me how to do it, um, which I will always be very grateful for. And then they sort of kept finding jobs for me over the years. And, I was originally training ground reporter, so I would go up to the uh, training ground every week and interview the, the players and sit in on the, first, uh, on the press conference and then write a little report on that for the TV channel. Then when the TV channel ended, uh, started doing Arsenal World and then was in the office one day and uh, one of the guys in the office said, how do, you, how do you feel about doing interviews at pitch side? And I thought about it for all of five seconds <laughs> and went, yes, please. <laughs> so, um, and I've, I've done that now for three years. And as, as, as I've said, it's a dream, dream job, really. Tough one, I'm sure. But what would be one or some then of your favourite individual moments since you've been working for the club? It is a very tough question because there have been lots of, you know, pinch yourself moments. The, the highlights probably would be, uh, if I was to think off the top of my head, doing the, the pitch side stuff, obviously, um, and the interviews that stand out th would be Dennis Bergkamp, probably. That, the, the, wow. the, the, the day that his statue was unveiled outside, he came pitch side. I think we were playing Sunderland, actually, in that game. And um, he joined us pitch side at half-time. And every interview that we do, you know, it's nice to see the stadium is, is quite full. This was packed at half-time. No, I, <laughs> the beers and the pasties, I don't know how well they sold that day because <laughs> everyone seemed to be in their seat just to watch Dennis Bergkamp. And you could hear a pin drop, and that was amazing. To, when, when Dennis spoke, it was, it was absolutely silent. 60,000 people, that was a magical moment. And uh, for these interviews, I, I submit the questions. And it was quite a funny moment with, the, with Dennis because, obviously, we had to submit the questions uh, for, for an Arsenal point of view, for an Ajax point of view, and from a Dennis point of view. So they had to be approved by three, three different sets of people. So I sent off the questions, go, this is what I'd like to ask Dennis. So we get to the interview on the day, it's going really well, the, the crowd are just hanging off every word that Dennis says. And the last question I ask him is about his current role at Ajax. And that's the last question that's been approved, that I have, that's the last question on my sheet. And then Dennis answers the question and then says to me, and I think I know what the next question is going to be. <laughs> 
Ah. <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, I haven't got another question because it hasn't been approved, Dennis. So I thought, what can I do here? So I turned to the crowd, and this, this was why I think this is such an amazing moment. The crowd have always been very kind to me, and I, I love working with them, and, and it's just a brilliant, brilliant two-way thing. And I said to the... I said to, well, shall I ask the next question? Thinking, I haven't got another question because I know, I think what he's going to, I think I know what he wants to say. So shall I ask the next question? And 60,000 people roared, yes! <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I went, well, Dennis, I don't think I need to ask the next question, but I think you might have an answer to it. And then he said, well, of course, I'd love to come back to Arsenal one day, blah, 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 blah. And in the back of my mind, I thought, well, if ever anyone says to me, you shouldn't have asked that question, I was going, well, I didn't. Yeah. It's a very clever way out of that situation. I'm very impressed. You've got to think quickly in these situations, haven't you? You did, because I thought, well, I haven't... None of these questions have been... This extra question hasn't been approved, so I've got to try and work out a way to do this. But um, it was a great moment, and that was a highlight. And and going on tour with the the guys this year to Singapore with Puma was amazing. To be asked to do the kit launch was such an honour, both in London, you know, co-presenting with Thierry... It's not as not co-presenters bad, it, go. Really? It's a dream, you know. I've worked with lots of co-presenters over the years. He's probably my favourite co-presenter. No offence to the others. Be a bit starstruck, let's be honest. Uh, no, I wasn't. I'm, I'm, it's, it's an interesting. I don't really get starstruck. No. I think maybe because I've been fortunate enough to be doing this for so yeah. long, and over the years you kind of meet so many people, and you just kind of think, well, they're normal people. They're fine. And I think the moment you get starstruck, you're in danger of not doing necessarily your job. Yeah, and he's trying to find that thin dividing line between that and, as you said, always being very appreciative and very respectful and grounded about your job as well, isn't it? And still having that excitement and that wow factor at that end. Absolutely, it's very exciting. For example, a couple of weeks ago, Wrighty sat next to me for the entire match. And, you know, the child in you is going, oh, my God, I'm sat next to Ian Wright. But you have to go, oh, righty, how are you doing? You know, all that kind of stuff. And you just have to play it cool. You know, as I say, you've got to, you've got to remain, I think, professional at all times. And I always try and do that. Hopefully it comes across. <laughs> well, I think it does. And hopefully this segment will return after your fine scene. So, <laughs> well, cracking debut, I think, hopefully, for Access you. Arsenal. Yeah, best of luck with it. Thank you very much indeed for getting involved. No problem. Thank you. You can see Adrian Clark on the breakdown every Monday on Arsenal Player and he's here now to preview the Gunners' clash with Chelsea this coming Sunday. Adrian, how's it going, my friends? Yeah, all good. One or two sniffles, but I'll survive. Yeah, I'm the same. <laughs> Man flu blighting the Hargreaves household at the moment, sadly. But we're here. We rise above it. We do. We yeah. move on. Um, <laughs> Arsenal, of course, moving on hoping to get back to winning ways, as we've been discussing on the Arsenal Weekly podcast. Some solid battling results, but this London derby against the Blues is a real chance to, to make another statement, isn't it? It really is, yeah. Arsenal have edged their way back to the top of the table without being wholly convincing. We did talk about this spell, didn't we? The three matches that would really test their title credentials. And I think we've seen that, really. The three at Liverpool it was an open game. There were positives but negatives. And against Stoke as well... It wasn't the perfect performance, but but the team showed certain qualities that helped them get a valuable point. But I think we're all hoping this time around against Chelsea that we can make it five points from a possible nine. Because if it was anything less than that, you'd look back at this period potentially as being a really disappointing one. So this is a big, big game for Arsene Wenger and his men. And heading into playing a Chelsea team who've just had... uh 
bizarre season, haven't they? I mean, to be defending Barclays Premier League champions, then be right near the bottom, get rid of Jose Mourinho, bring back Gus Hiddink. I don't know where to start. No, it's been a pretty shameful defence of their crown, hasn't it? It's been a mess from top to bottom. I don't think the board supported Jose Mourinho particularly well in the transfer market. He then lost the plot, got a little bit too moody, if you like, and took out his frustration on the players and the staff. Morale was at a low, and all of a sudden the results just, just went to pot, and it's a situation that they're really struggling to recover from. We've seen flashes of the old Chelsea. I think we saw it at Crystal Palace recently on their travels, so they're not to be underestimated, Chelsea, but they're not the same side that they were last season, not anywhere near. And what do you make of Hiddink coming back in and, and for me at least, giving the players the chance to try and at least re-express themselves and have a bit more freedom and just take control of their own destinies a bit more? He's a good man-manager. Players like him. So he is actually the ideal interim choice, I'd say. When an outgoing manager has upset pretty much the whole of the squad... The idea, really, or the best thing to do is to, is to bring someone who will raise morale, give everybody a confidence boost, and like you say, encourage them to express themselves and to play with no fear. Chelsea shouldn't play with any fear. They've got nothing to play for, really. I don't believe they're genuine relegation contenders. We joke about it here at Arsenal, but I don't, I don't actually believe that they are in trouble in that regard. So they can free wheel between now and the end of the season and really enjoy their football without too much pressure. That in itself, I think, is a slight danger for Arsenal ahead of this game. Yeah, absolutely. And what do you make of of Hiddink's recent results? Because they've not been brilliant, have they, in the league? They've got Europe to look back mm. ahead to in a bit, which is brilliant for them, but they've not been particularly great the last couple of weeks, have they? They've only won once yeah. under the Dutchman, so that's not great. They were way too open against West Bromwich Albion, against Everton at home. It's crazy the amount of goals that they're conceding. Chelsea have let in more goals already this season than they did in the entirety of last, which just seems mad, really, given how long we've got left of the current campaign. So, so yeah, there are lots of things to, for him to work on, but they will have these real good performances as well. I, I don't think we should underestimate Chelsea and treat them like any other bottom half of the table side. They've still got real talent and the, and the ability to hurt Arsenal if they bring their A game. And to rise to the big occasion with those class players that just need a bit of cajoling and the fires to start burning yeah. again. Diego Costa is scoring again, for yes. example, among those more positive signs. Is he an area that could hurt Arsenal? Hey, there are so many areas, really, that Chelsea could potentially hurt Arsenal. Yes, I think the Fabregas Costa partnership is showing signs of reigniting. We've seen a few of those balls over the top and in a game at Stamford Bridge in the last couple of years we conceded a goal with that kind of move so we need to be wary of that. They're always strong on set plays. They continue to threaten opposition teams from those situations. And you've got Willian who has been a consistent performer this season so he's another guy that, that will be looking to hurt Arsenal. See look, you I think they can really uh, cause problems for the Gunners if we're not concentrated and fully at it. On the flip side then, Adrian, where can Arsenal hurt Chelsea? Well, we can really get at them, I think, in central midfield. They still haven't got the balance right. Fabregas, at the moment, is better than he was, but he's still in and out in terms of form. If he plays, I think he is a weakness without the ball. I think Aaron Ramsey can make runs off of him. So too Meza Ozil. So that's an area we can really cause damage. And the centre-halves are struggling. Which combination is Hiddink going to go with? Is it Terry and Zuma? Is it, is it Terry and Cahill? Is it Zuma 
and Cahill. We just don't know. I think Terry will play, but, but those two centre-backs are not in great form. So if we can get in behind Chelsea, really use our athleticism, I think we can... And, and flash balls into the penalty area. I can see Olivier Giroud having, having a good day. And our key battle area then, two players head-to-head. -head. I guess, does it partially depend on if Ozil's fit? Well, I was actually thinking about that head-to-head -head that caused so much of a kerfuffle at Stamford Bridge with Koscielny against Costa. Now, we don't know if Costa's <laughs> going to be fit yet, do we? Because he's picked up a shin yeah. injury. If he's fit, how both of those two handle it in terms of their temperament, I suggest, will we'll have a big factor. Because Costa will wind Koscielny up. He did it. It's a great success in that oh, first yeah. match and it's, it's imperative that Laurent just holds his nerve and uses his football brain to overpower him. If that duel isn't the main one, I like the look of Willian against Monreal on that right-hand side. You've got one of the best right-wingers in the league against, I think, the best left-back. So that's, that's another good battleground. And in a sentence to conclude, Adrian, how do you beat Chelsea? Well, it hasn't been easy to beat Chelsea. There's been three goalless draws out of the last four metres. So my advice this time around to beat Chelsea... It's unleash the shackles. They are uncomfortable at the moment. There's no point holding back with a handbrake. Let's go at them, score goals early and make it a tortuous afternoon. Attack, attack, attack. <laughs> I like it. Uh, Clarky, thank you very much indeed. Yeah, top man. You can join Dan Roebuck and Stephen Hughes for all the pre-match build-up from 3.30pm UK time on Sunday and then uninterrupted audio commentary of the game at four. That's full time on this week's show. Our thanks to Olivier Giroud, to Dan Roebuck and Nick Bromsack, to Nigel Mitchell and to Adrian Clark for stopping by today. Remember, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes so you'll never miss a new episode or you can listen every week on our SoundCloud page as well. We're back next week on Monday the 25th of January and until then, it's bye for now and come on, you gunners. Thanks for listening, and remember you can subscribe to the Arsenal Weekly Podcast on iTunes or listen to a new show every Monday on arsenal.com and SoundCloud. The Arsenal Weekly Podcast. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 